Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on YouTube or listen to us on iTunes, Amazon, or Spotify. We always encourage feedback. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net, and let us know how we're doing uh, with our Thrive Podcast. I am very happy today uh, to welcome uh, two friends, uh, a deacon and a pastor, uh, to come and talk with us today about uh, an important issue having to do with uh, improper uh, hiring that's taking place within uh, the Department of Corrections for the state of Louisiana. I'm happy to welcome Pastor Larry Smith uh, here, uh, and I know you're retired, but I still want to call you Pastor Larry Smith and Dr. Johnny Jones. And I know that you're our deacon, but I still want to call you Dr. Johnny Jones. Uh, uh, Pastor Smith and Dr. Jones uh, are both retired from the Department of Public Safety and Correct and they have written a scholarly report. Uh, I, I want you to see that. They have written a scholarly report that is entitled this, The Underrepresentation of Black Employees in Executive and Upper Management Positions in the Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Corrections. Uh, the Comprehensive Inquiry of Promotional Decisions in Corrections, a Qualitative Analysis. Gentlemen, thank you all so much for taking the time to come and share with us today. Tell us in, 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 in a nutshell what this report uh, reveals. The report, in a nutshell, reveals that uh, blacks are not being dealt with fairly when it comes to promotional opportunities within the Department of Corrections. At anybody's first glance at the Department of Corrections statistics, they appear to be even. Uh, and what I mean by that is somewhere in the neighborhood about uh, 48% black employees, 50% white employees. and. That looks pretty much even, but as you progress up the ladder for upward mobility, for further promotions, the numbers of whites increase and the numbers of black decrease mm -hmm. to the point where when you get to the very top of the system, it turns white. Uh, for no apparent reason other than the fact that correction appears to be um, a white man's prerogative. Mm -hmm. uh, they run it. Uh, we're in it to the tune of about 70% of offenders. But when you come to who manages the institution, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about lieutenant colonels and majors and captains. I'm talking about wardens. Yes, sir. There are um, eight adult institutions, 
one, now two black wardens, the rest of them are white. And it has been not just yesterday, but forever. I want, I, I want to emphasize what you just said, 82 institutions. Eight. Eight. Eight institutions. I apologize. Yes. Eight institutions and only two blacks Yeah, who, who lead those institutions. And the second one was recently promoted this Monday, as some of uh, your listeners may have read in the paper. Yeah. So, Dr. Jones, from your perspective, as, as someone who has given his entire life to the corrections system and retired from that system, what does it say to you that the hiring practices seem to be skewed in, 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 in the direction towards whites at the head and, and blacks in the lower-tiered employment opportunities? Well, it says to me that uh, uh, corrections operate in a system or norms that uh, view white employees as more important or more qualified or more capable than black employees. Mm -hmm. So they tend to overlook qualified blacks in every area. That is the norm. It Correction operates in a system governed by systemic racist behavior, and that is the uh, bottom line. Yes, sir. And uh, unfortunately, there are no guardrails, if you will, to protect black employees, although we have a civil service system that uh, proposedly operates on the basis of uh, merits and qualifications, that certainly is not the case. The uh, system allows for agencies to discriminate. For example, uh, to be promoted, if you are, if you are on the uh, first three employees or five employees, any three, I think it's five now, if you make that list, then you are eligible uh, to be promoted and the secretary or the appointing authority can promote whoever is on that list. Now what happens, you can almost be assured that in every case, you're gonna have whites on the list. Mm -hmm. So if the secretary chooses a white every time, Mm -hmm. he's in compliance with the rule. But what that does, it perpetuates systemic racist behavior. So both of you all have used the term qualified candidates. For those of us who are not familiar with the correction system, elaborate on what it is that makes these people qualified uh, and, and, and therefore uh, should be considered but are not being considered. Here's how it works, Pastor Smith. Um, two factors are at play. Mm-hmm. The Civil Service Department and the Department of Corrections. Civil Service is considered the qualifying agency. In effect, what they do is review applications to ensure that the applicant has the qualifying experience to apply for the job. Mm -hmm. 
a list is produced and then it's turned over to the Department of Public Safety and Correction. So whether there's five names on the list qualified or 50 names on the list qualified, the Department of Corrections can then pick from that list who they desire. And as Dr. Jones was saying, um, they can pick white every day. Mm-hmm and not be in violation of anything because they didn't constitute the list. Mm-hmm. Civil service did. Mm-hmm. And so we contend that even though civil service has had a listening ear and has, built, and has been willing to work with us on this particular project, there is still much work that needs to be done that even goes into legislation because an act of legislation separated the responsibilities between civil service and the Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. An act was created that allows corrections to be the appointing authority and civil service to be the certifying authority. And obviously, with respect to our findings, that means that statewide, and there are 11, 10 or 11 state departments, mm-hmm. every state department can then get the list from civil service that they didn't create and pick from that list as the appointing authority mm-hmm. who they want. Mm-hmm. Now, that in turn, we believe, enhances and lends credence to systemic or what we call institutional racism because what it does is it gives one group an advantage over the other group systematically Mm -hmm. without any violations, though morally we believe that system is bankrupt and corrupt. So if... The civil service group that does the qualifying uh, selects five people, just hypothetically, selects five people, three of which are African-American, two of which are white, and then hands that list over to the secretary of the Department of Corrections. Even if the three African-Americans have superior scores uh, to the whites that are on the list, the fact that these whites are on the list means that the Secretary of the Department of Corrections can just arbitrarily pick whoever they want and say that it's okay because their name was on the list. That's what you're saying. That's correct. And you're saying that that's legal. That's legal. And, and so my response is everything that's legal ain't right. That's correct. <laughs> you see, s- slavery was legal. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Lynching black folk was legal. Was legal, yes. But what right? Yes. Uh, segregation was legal. Yes. And so in our impression, what you got is a bad law. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, to take your example and uh, exemplify it further, if three blacks had master's degrees in criminal justice, mm-hmm. and this is just an example, and two whites had high school degrees, 
but they had the qualifying experience mm-hmm. to show up on that list. You could pick one of the two whites and be within the construct and intent of the rule. Well, let me ask you this. And that's pretty much how, how <laughs> the system yeah. has got to look like it does. Yes. Yeah. Because when we were, uh, if you go back, uh, uh, the system uh, 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 corrections, we researched it goes back to about 1834, 1835. And coming up from 1835, the system has always been administered at the top by whites. So when we were going to the cotton field, yes. some folk were going to civil service. Yes. And so they're stacked in the civil service mm-hmm. and enough experience will qualify you for almost any job because they got rid of the the D uh, the degree requirement with the exception of specialized jobs, social workers, doctors, nurses, so forth mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you have 20 years experience but no academic credentials, you could still be qualified to serve and make this list and be selected uh, in this leadership position. And that's by law. That's correct. And no one is interested in changing the law. We I, I, I'm asking the question. Is we, anybody interested in in in, in not that I know of? Not that I know of. As a matter of fact, uh, you you raise a very very interesting question that leads to why we're here. Mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to do is make the uh, community aware of what's going on, how it's going on, and secondly, we are appealing to uh, a folk of good intent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. legislatively mm-hmm. as well as community leaders to join in with us and helping make a change in a much needed area yeah. and so we're asking uh, uh, your listening artists call your legislators mm-hmm. uh, call your senators uh, call your representatives call the black caucus uh, we need some help in getting some of this changed is there let, let, let's continue with the hypothetical that we raised. Three blacks are on are on a list. Two whites are on a list. It's a list of five, and the blacks uh, have superior credentials to the whites. The whites are on the list primarily based upon the fact that they've sat in the in, in the seat for a long period of time. They have the experience, but but there's like, is there an appeals process in place if 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 Larry Smith is ranked number two on the list and John Q. White is ranked number five on the list and John Q. White is selected over Larry Smith, can Larry, is there an appeals process by which Larry Smith can avail himself uh, to try to right this wrong that has been done? Yes. Okay. How does that work? Uh, it works in the form of a grievance. You can file in a grievance uh, based on the fact that you disagree with the decision uh, with respect to your qualifications compared to the other candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you file a grievance in writing, you schedule a time for it to be heard, and I would imagine you could even appeal to civil service, but let me hasten to say that rarely are those decisions overturned if there's no technical violation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could appeal. And that is due primarily because uh, the selection is in compliance with the policies of civil service. Mm-hmm. The appointing authority did not violate the rule because mm-hmm. they didn't appoint you, even though you, uh, the black, had more experience. Recently, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, voting restrictions that exist in Arizona are acceptable because no one could prove that the voting restrictions were imposed on a racially uh, uh, biased uh, basis or, or, or based upon racial decisions, even though it serves to restrict minorities from voting. In other words, I have to prove that you are discriminating against me in order, in a racial manner, in order to have these rules overturned. That very much describes to me what it is that you all are saying is is true in this grievance process. It's a process in name, but it's not really a true grievance process. Am I correct in, in that assessment, or am, uh, am I missing something? It's a grievance process, but it's mute. It don't amount to too much. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, when you, when, when you When you think about the globalness of the entire situation, these are civil service jobs. Yes. If that doesn't ring a bell to you, they're taxpayers' jobs. Yes. This is not private industry. Uh, private industry is a little bit different. Right. They can hire who they want, pretty much fire who they want. Right. And even they have unions. Right. But these are taxpayers' jobs. And what we're talking about is an agency that purports to be or holds itself out to be an equal opportunity employer. Uh it's on their stationery. It's in their goals and objectives. Yes, sir. It's everywhere. Yes, sir. Equal opportunity employee up until a point, until you get to the highest paid jobs. Yeah. And that's when it becomes our domain. And that's what uh, Dr. Jones and uh, retired Secretary uh, Waylon Gibbs, uh, uh, retired Secretary Griffin Rivers, and Assistant Warden Julian Burns, and all of us have gotten together. Let me, may I share with you how we started this? Yes, sir. Please. Last year, when uh, John Lewis passed, uh, and being a pastor, you can relate to this. I heard John, they were playing some old tapes of John Lewis and pretty much what he, he was talking about, good trouble. Yes, sir. And he said something that resonated in my spirit. He said, if you see something wrong, say something. Yes. And based on that, I called Dr. Jones and my team together and said, look, here's the plan. If I say it, 
it's just going to be me like John the Baptist shouting in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. But if five of us mm -hmm. are saying it, then just maybe somebody will listen. Mm -hmm. But I want it to be factual. Mm -hmm. No innuendo, he said, she said, so forth and so on. Right. We know what it looks like. Yes. But let's see why. And what the inner workings of this thing looks like. And that's the genesis of this document. And we talk a lot about uh, institutions, but probation and parole has a wider jurisdiction than institutions. Mm -hmm. uh, smaller budget, but a wider um, domain because they supervise uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 63,000 folk in Louisiana are on either probation or parole. 63,000. 63,000. And uh, they have 121 uh, black employees and 510 white employees. Now, how does that get like that? Yeah. Yeah. Through this same system that we're describing, the director of probation and parole, and I'm not upset with white folk. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want anybody to get that impression. I'm looking at a system that's just totally all white that is a tax-supported system with our tax dollars, but we can't get the top jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, probation and parole... Um, uh, the probation parole director is white, the assistant director is white, the deputy director is white, the regional directors are white, and on and on and on. So let's talk about the e economics of it. You mentioned that when it gets to top-paying jobs, it's all filled with white individuals. What's the difference in pay? between a warden and a captain in, 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 in the Department of Corrections? I don't have the figures right before me, but if you want a, a quick glance at it, the difference is uh, from $50,000 to $100,000 when you get to the warden's category. Per year? Yeah. Per person? Yeah. So a warden, for clarification, a warden will make fifty to a hundred thousand. No, no, a captain. A captain. You're looking at about fifty okay. to maybe seventy. And a warden makes over a hundred. Yeah. So there's a fifty thousand dollar gap. Thirty yeah. thirty to fifty thousand dollar gap yeah. in, in pay between those two individuals. Uh, and all of the warden positions save the two uh, that that you mentioned are occupied by whites. That's correct. And uh, no one seems to have a problem with that. We or, do. Or, or, or no one in a, no, no no one from government seems to have a problem right. with that. Just as no one seems to have a problem that uh, eighty percent of the employees in probation and parole are white, mm -hmm. and and probation and parole community-based correction is is a more dissolvable work environment, 
whereas most of the black employees are on the uh, uh, security side, where it's absolutely more mentally draining and physically demanding, mm -hmm. but they earn less pay. Mm -hmm. And who are they uh, supervising, the, the, these parole officers and probation officers? The, the bulk of the people that are on parole, the, the, the thousands that are on parole, most of them are African-American? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So African-Americans are reporting to whites, by and large, yeah. throughout the, the extent of their probation yeah. and parole. And whites have the ability, help me to understand how, how the parole process works. A parole officer, I think, based upon my limited knowledge and what I see on television and what have you, parole officers have an awful lot of control over what a parolee can and cannot do, over where a parolee can and cannot go over whether or not a parolee can have his parole revoked and he's back into the system. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yes, you're correct. Let me read from your executive summary, uh, j just a portion. Uh, Systemic racism coupled with the use of the good old boy network has permeated the ranks of the Department of Public Safety and corrections for decades. We find systemic racism to be conspicuous in employment practices as it relates to managerial and executive level promotional opportunities for blacks. It is incumbent upon the Department of Public Safety and Corrections to first accept the undeniable fact that racial biases exist in its promotional practices, and secondly, to initiate steps to provide remedy to the affected class of employees who have been victimized. Let's talk about number two. What remedies would you recommend based upon your investigation and your research? One of the things we recommended was that the department create uh, what we call a mentoring program. Okay. Uh, we are who we are and we're where we are not because we were just that great, but because we were mentored by other folk. But they have a way of just allowing a few to get to the, through the gate at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were some of, of those who, who got through. But with respect to your question, one of the recommendations we're suggesting, and I must add that the secretary has... Um, said he'd look into it is a mentoring program for would-be executives so that they receive the same mentoring that their white counterparts receive. Mm -hmm. uh, because the way the system has turned uh, to be all white like this is that somebody mentored them. Somebody allowed them to make mistakes picked them up, mm -hmm. dusted them off, and put them back out uh, to do better as they proceeded. Mm -hmm. That's what happened to me. I was mentored by a white guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Jones was mentored by a white guy mm -hmm. because there was nobody else in the system. We were on the flies in the buttermilk mm -hmm. at the time, uh, but uh, we had help. 
And that is what brings us to the table today. Mm-hmm. We are not suffering from amnesia. We remember <laughs> yes, sir. that we had help. And with respect to your question, there are those who are locked in the system now who want to say something, but they're close to retirement. They're competent and they're tired. And they simply want to make retirement so they can't speak up for fear of reprisal. Mm -hmm. And so us as a group, all five of us, thought that we would speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. The other thing that uh, we recommended was that, uh, uh, that the governor intervene and that he support this. And it's not going to work unless he does. Uh, he has said that he's reviewing the document, and and that's all we have gotten from him. Mm-hmm. We've gotten it as far as we can get it, and we thank you for allowing us on the program today because it gives us another avenue to get our message out mm-hmm. uh, because that's what we're trying to We believe if we can get enough community support, if we can continue to get the secretary, and the secretary has acknowledged that uh, he's going to work towards making a difference, and I think this recent promotion of uh, the new warden at Hunt Correctional Center, mm-hmm. we don't want to claim all the credit for it. But I'm sure our report had some impact on that. Mm-hmm. That's a step in the right direction. And Warden Jones, or Dr. Jones, has indicated because that's the second largest prison in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a large responsibility. Mm-hmm. But for a man who's been there 30 years and is capable. When you started in the Department of Corrections, who was the governor at that time? When I started in the Department of Corrections, um, Maybe maybe Governor Edwards was the governor. When you started, who was the governor? All right, when I started, Governor uh, Edwards was the uh, governor, and uh, C. Paul Phelps was the secretary. And I might add, uh, uh, if it were not for the governor's intervention, I would not have become uh, Louisiana's first black warden. Phelps made it very clear to the warden that he had no intent of promoting me, and I understood why, you know, and uh, and the governor indicated to indicate pointed out to the secretary that if he didn't uh, promote me uh, to that position, he needs a good reason. So what he did, he got with civil service, and they came up with an examination for me to take. Mm-hmm. I'm the only ward that ever taken a written examination, so he was surprised, but the. Uh, uh, results. So uh, I went to the women's prison, and I have to tell you, thanks to Representative Joe Deppard, mm-hmm. you know, who was behind it all the way, who got with the governor, and that's how I became warden. And and, um, and I have to tell you, you know, you you when when you stand up for something, you have to pay a price uh, as warden. Uh, the secretary called me and told me, uh, uh, don't promote anybody at that institution until um, I run it past him. Guess what? I never ran anything past him. Okay. <laughs> On another occasion, he contacted me and uh, 
asked that uh, he would like for his executive uh, assistant to be considered for the deputy warden position. She was not considered. So, you know, so I'm not uh, completely insane. I mean, I knew that, that that was not behavior that was going to get me promoted. Yes, sir. But guess what? It didn't matter because what I did, I promoted a lot of black folk at that prison. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the, 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 the reason why I asked who was governor is because I know you said that your report goes all the way back to 1834, but in your own personal experience, you all have gone through several different governors, several different state administrations, yeah. and you have not seen the, the situation improve. If anything, you, you have seen the situation get worse. Uh, is it a political, philosophical problem? Do Democrats do better than Republicans, or do Republicans do better than Democrats? What was your experience with that? When it comes to uh, correction? Yes, sir. I think Democrats might have the edge on some appointments at the highest levels, mm -hmm. but when it comes to the meat of it, uh, the issues we're talking about today, it has remained the same. Yeah. See, here's what will happen. We get uh, other folk get the secretary's jobs. But there are some positions, uh, labor, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a few other positions like that that are traditionally black, taxation often. Mm -hmm. uh, those are not risky appointments. We generally get those appointments. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't get the other appointments, period. We get the deputy's job. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on what secretary you're working with, the deputy has absolutely no authority, although he's the second in command. That just looks good. That's just window dressing. It's a title. It's just a title. Yes, sir. Where the rubber meets the road mm -hmm. and where the work is being done underneath, uh, it does not change no matter what administration you're working under, because those are civil service positions. Mm -hmm. uh, they won't just disappear. You can't just move people in and out of those. Mm -hmm. And if we're not at the top of the system to be considered for those jobs, and even when we get there, they move the goal line. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? At one time, there was a, a, a at least a degree requirement to be a warden. Mm -hmm. There's no requirement now. They moved that and it, it, uh, you can still have a degree, but they also consider work experience. Mm -hmm. So we ran the school and got the degrees and so somebody moved the goal line and said you can also have mm -hmm. work experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So now they pull from work experience more than they do degrees. Yeah. So now you got people who, who have degrees who are captains and majors and assistants, uh, and this is factual. Most of your wardens don't have degrees. Don't have degrees. Yeah. So the degreed 
individuals are reporting to the non-degree supervisors. Yeah, yeah, based on based on uh, the way they did that, and in my opinion, the reason they did that like that was to continue to be able to get who they wanted in the jobs, and they did it legally. <laughs> because what they do is they change the rules. Right. Through legislation. Now, that's where we fall short. Because, again, and I'm being redundant, but you're dealing with a $700 million budget. Yes, sir. And you're dealing with uh, thousands of employers and several uh, African Americans who can make a difference in their respective fields as well as improve the conditions of, of the offenders they serve. Well, let's talk about that because that's one of the things that distressed me when we first talked about this, uh, that uh, the Legislative Black Caucus uh, has not been uh, enthusiastically responsive to this report. I think that's a fair way of, of putting it. Why do you think that is, and what do you think needs to be done to change that? Well, I, I personally, uh, I, I think that uh, it's the reason why that is is that you have too many members of the Black Caucus, political Black Caucus, that are self-serving. Okay, um, you have too many. Studio uh, friends, so to speak. They're not friends of the black community. They're friends of their own little group. And their only concerns is when something concerns them. See, the thing that we're trying to do right now is one of their objectives. And it's shameful, if you will, that they have not uh, reached out to, you know, to assist us in. Uh, what it is that we're trying to, uh, trying to achieve. The bottom line is they don't care. Okay, that, that's, that's just Yes, sir. And, and, and you would think that this would be something that they would embrace and want to champion. I, would, I would think so. I would think, they would, I would think that they would want to embrace it, uh, champion it, support it, because as I look at their mission and their goals and objectives, I'm reading one verbatim. Uh, our goal, it says, implementing and promoting policies which allow all citizens fair and open access to education and, and economical advancement opportunities. Mm -hmm. Now, that's really what we're doing. Yes, sir. That's really what we're doing. And to be fair, I've been trying to to communicate with um, the chairman of Black Caucus, uh, Ted James, since March. Wrote him a letter, called him, called him again and again. Um, he doesn't even return telephone calls. I've called some other members also. I've sent them the document. They have the document. They've acknowledged that they had it. But nobody has said anything. And so in relationship 
Now, I understand that folk are busy. And like I said to you earlier, just because you come up with a good idea doesn't mean that people are going to support it. Mm -hmm. But the only way we can move this ball further is to get that kind of support because some of the help we are asking for, uh, it's in the realm of political activity. Mm -hmm. And so we really need their help. We have the endorsement and the, and the support of the advocate. Uh, we have lots of community support. But they've been definitely, definitely silent about this entire issue. In my view, the enemy is the enemy, regardless of his color. Now, unlike uh, Robert Smith, he's more uh, optimistic. Uh, uh, than I am, but as far as I am concerned, in the Black Caucus is a pitch, and I don't have no problem in saying that I don't need them and they don't need me, but our people need yes, them, and I think that they should, you know, stand up and speak out. Yes, sir. The in the most recent legislative session that just completed uh, a couple of days ago uh, was. There any legislation proposed that dealt with these discrepancies that you all have uncovered? And, and I ask that question because this report is dated December 26, 2020. The legislative session started in April and ended in June. You had ample time to review the report and to produce some kind of legislation, even if the legislation was unsuccessful, at least you could say that bills were introduced that have to do with these kinds of hiring discrepancies. Do you all know of any legislation that, that was presented to the legislature in this most recent session? I don't know of any at all. As a matter of fact, we deliberately tried to get the report to them prior to the session so that they would be forearmed with it and could take whatever steps they needed to take if they desired to uh, give us a hand. Mm -hmm. uh, we have just not heard anything. In, in effect, nobody said they weren't going to do anything. They just didn't say that they were going to do anything. They just didn't do it, yes. period. Yes. As if... We don't exist for whatever reason. And I don't, uh, you know, I don't know either, uh, uh, Reverend Smith. But uh, since they have refused to uh, work with us or contact us uh, about this issue, you know, I guess you can logically uh, surmise that there isn't any, there wasn't any, because mm -hmm. if there were, they would probably be talking to us about it. It's disheartening. Um, as we prepare to close, what is it that either of you, both of you, would like to say to the public, to those who are viewing, to those who are listening uh, to this podcast regarding uh, these hiring discrepancies and effective remedies that we can approach as, as we go forward? Well, I would like for the, the listeners to call out their elected officials, especially the ones black. I would uh, 
recommend that they produce uh, work that they have done on behalf of the black community. I would ask them why haven't they held uh, meetings, if you will, in the community, in the community to address many of the uh, problems that uh, uh, black folks are experiencing, especially uh, those related to uh, uh, systemic uh, racism. And 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 I, you know, and I, I don't believe that that they should come around uh, and meet with us at church when it's time to be uh, uh, elected, uh, re-elected. They should meet with us all during the years, so to speak. So somebody needs to put the heat on them would be, uh, would be, uh, would be my recommendation. And uh, I would also think that, uh, that uh, uh, this battle cannot be won by depending on uh, any secretary to do the right thing. Uh, social problems are not self-corrected. Uh, what civil service needs to do needs to establish a policy that stipulates that upper management and executive positions should be based on the number of African Americans that you have in the system. If, you, if your unit is 50% uh, black, I'll be 50% black managers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the only way that we can get to the bottom of this. And as Reverend Smith uh, uh, indicated, I think that we have reached the water's edge. What is needed now is, uh, is political intervention. Reverend Smith? Let me just thank uh, Dr. Jones for his comments. Um, we've identified a problem, and it's not a, an unsolvable problem. We know how to fix this. We've been around long enough, and there are others with us who have the expertise to navigate us from goal to objective, if I might say. Uh, we're getting some support. There are many of us in the system now working towards retirement. They need our help. They have no voice. That's why we came to the table to speak for them and to create a better way for them. For us to ignore this problem, and anybody who has some possible impact on what we're doing, for them to act otherwise would make them a Judas goat and a traitor to the cause. Uh, we've come this far because we've had help. Nobody pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's the biggest lie you ever want to hear. They yes, had sir. help from somebody if it was no more than a little lady down the street. Yes, sir. And we believe that we can really make a dent 
and we can make a difference, and we're going to, with or without significant others, it may take us longer, but like I told the Secretary of Corrections, we're not going to pass like ships in the night and go away. We're going to keep knocking at this door until somebody opens it because it can be open. It's not an impossible task. And I keep harping on taxpayers' jobs. Those are taxpayers' jobs. We pay the taxes for those jobs. Nobody ought to have a, a monopoly on them. We saw it and we decided not to turn our head to it. We decided to meet them in the senator court and take the fight to them academically and say, this is what it looks like and this is what it is mm -hmm. and we're going to change it. And I think it starts with uh, programs like this where you exhibited an interest because you were aware of what we were trying to do and say, hey, fellas, come over here and that is as contagious as anything else because you have a significant view and audience and and we're going to continue to move the ball so we're inviting everybody who who has some interest in something like this and there ought to be several to give us a hand in making a difference in an area that's much much needed and in the long run or the short run, it's for the betterment of the whole community, the state, as well as the taxpayers we serve. You know, real quickly, real yes, sir. Seth, I would like to add, I, I, I believe in giving credit where credit belongs, and this committee uh, was the brainchild of Reverend Larry Smith. Larry Smith, it yes. His idea. It wasn't my idea or no other member. As a matter of fact, he called me, and he didn't ask me to serve on the committee. He called me and gave me an assignment. I mean, <laughs> I was in my garage eating peanuts and drinking a root beer. The furthest thing from my mind was uh, corrections. So he is to be applauded, if you will, for his leadership and his insight. Yes, sir. <laughs> If someone viewing or listening to this uh, podcast wanted to get a copy of this report, how could they do that? Uh, they can they can email me at Larry.smith428 at gmail.com, and I will be happy to forward them a copy of the report. Okay. Pastor Larry Smith, Dr. Johnny Jones, thank you all for taking the time to come and share with us today. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.